some monsters aren't born, but created. their family, bullies, their greed, this is the story of Mike Berg. This is Archaic. Maud Crawford, Part 2. He had a terrible reputation for breaking the law. In addition to legitimate activities, Berg is alleged to have committed a great range of illegal and criminal acts to further increase his wealth Part of his skill is that he never got caught. He was a sociopath. He had no ethics. People said would do anything for him, even kill. He had so-called henchmen. We have to first understand the suspect. He had so much money. It won't take long for you to soon realize the psychology of it. Some who knew Mike personally, friends of his in Camden, might have this version to say about him. Henry Mike Berg is a member of the third generation of his family to be identified with the history of Camden, Arkansas. His grandfather was one of the pioneers and founders of Camden, and his father was prominent in business and banking circles. Henry Mike Berg is himself active in oil production and banking, he has inherited the business acumen and pioneering spirit of his ancestors with a broad outlook and dauntless enthusiasm, which with them led to the opening up of new communities and enterprises. And with him has taken the form of a vital interest in the growing field of commercial aviation. Camden, Arkansas was the birthplace of Henry Mike Berg on August the 31st, 1908. One of the three children of Leo and Annie Wright Berg and the grandson of Meyer Berg, who migrated to Camden, Arkansas from New Orleans, Louisiana in 1845. Meyer Berg served in the Confederate Army, the war between the states, and was engaged in the mercantile business until his death. Leo Berg, 
The father of Henry Mike was born in Camden and was prominent in three fields of activity in the community. He was the owner and operator of one of the largest jewelry stores in southeastern Arkansas, did an extensive real estate business, and also engaged in banking. He was mayor of Camden for six years. The mother of Henry Mike Berg was Anne Wrightberg, a native of Washington, Arkansas. Leo Berg died in 1932. Leah Shire and Jet Jordan, sisters of Henry Mike Berg, are both living in Nashville, Tennessee. Henry Mike Berg early evidenced a talent for mathematical and engineering subjects. And after completing his public school work in Camden and graduating from the Camden High School in 1926, he entered Little Rock College at Little Rock, Arkansas, graduating in engineering in 1929. His technical training has been of great value to him in the field of oil production, which is his major interest. He has oil properties in Washita County, Arkansas, and also in Texas. His keen financial sense makes him a valuable member of the board of directors of the Merchants and Planners Bank in Camden, Arkansas. And he is vice president of Smackover State Bank in Smackover, Arkansas. The expanding field of commercial aviation appeals strongly to Mr. Berg, who while entering wholeheartedly into present day activities and problems keeps always the clear vision of the future, which marks the leaders in industrial as well as in political fields. Mr. Berg has a pilot's license and many hours flying under his belt to his credit and is working toward the future of commercial aviation in both Camden and Little Rock. During World War II, he served with the United States Army, attached to the combat engineers, and received his honorable discharge on December 31st of 1943. The marriage of Henry Mike Berg and Helen de France of Little Rock, Arkansas, was solemnized on January 27th, 1942, and was one of the charter members of the Camden Country Club, where he often plays golf. A 32nd degree Mason, he belongs to Camden Lodge, number 11, and is a Shriner. His political affiliation is with the Democratic Party. Mr. and Mrs. Henry Mike Berg reside at 500 Washington Street in Camden, Arkansas. Now, let me tell you who Mike Berg really was. Henry Meyer Mike Berg was born August 31st, 1908. He's the only son of Leo Berg and the nephew and namesake of Henry Lyon Berg. Two Camden businessmen who amassed a fortune of some $30 million from land and oil investments individually and in partnership called Berg Brothers prior to their respective deaths in 1931 and 1950. Leo and Henry Berg presented 
contrasting role models for the young Mike. A prominent man in the community said that Leo was elected mayor of Camden. He was well-liked, fair, and honest. Henry Berg, on the other hand, was ruthless, crafty, and sly. Mike Berg's mother seems to have played a strong role in shaping her son's character. Described as haughty, aloof woman who would take her own linens to a hotel. She's said to have instilled in him a fear of germs and paranoia of other people. Mike Berg, during his youth, was considered a misfit from a very early age. Childhood friend Woodford Woody Shyrock remembers him from the third and fourth grades as raising hell all the time and never minding. The young Mike Berg was bullied throughout his school career. Bullied in a way so much that it very well hell, very well may have molded him into the monster that he would become. Incidents happen as follows. In the eighth grade, it was recalled by another classmate, James Harvey Rumpf, that he revealed feelings of fear and alienation. For Mike had big ears. The teacher, Dottie Stewart, and a bunch of them made her a big paddle. One morning, they were in school. He sat behind Mike and had a rubber band. He says, I took the rubber band and clipped Mike's ear. He yelled bloody murder. Dottie threatened to give them all a paddling. After everything quieted down, he popped him again. Mike yelled and Dottie sent them both out into the hall and said that she was going to give them a paddling. As soon as they got out in the hall, Mike bust out the double doors of the school running. He ran all the way downtown to Berg Jewelers. Charlie Shyrock got the biggest kick out of that. He said Mike came running in panting. Is she after me? Is she after me? The next day, Mike Berg's mother came to the school, got his books, and he never went back. Rump who lived in Berg's neighborhood on West Washington Street, said that Berg was not educated beyond the eighth grade and never played or associated with anybody. Stories about Berg as a young man indicate an insecure person seeking to compensate with wealth and braggadocia. Janet, Mrs. Matthew Rothert, an acquaintance, recalled that I had a friend down to visit in 1939 or 40, got her a date with Mike Berg, and we went to a dance at the country club. He took us out in one Cadillac, then he went home at the intermission so he could come back with another Cadillac to impress her. Berg's insecurities 
increased when he was drafted into the Army in 1943, was sent to Camp Abbott at Bend, Oregon, then was discharged within a short period. A source said that the Army inducted Mike, but the psychologist said he was not mentally stable enough to be in the Army. His Camden doctor, R.B. Robbins, had tried to keep him out. Mike went to pieces. I heard they had him picking up cigarette butts, and he started crying. Mind him serving his country? It's that riff-raff he has to associate with. Mike returned home to scorn and ridicule townspeople who had just assumed that his mother bribed somebody to get him out of the army. A female contemporary remembered when he came back after all those boys had gone to the war, everybody looked down on him. They'd say to his face, well, if you got enough money, buy your way out of anything. Berg apparently against criticism and humiliation by making up stories of heroic experiences in the army and elsewhere. One of the many sources remembered that he'd lied about flying airplanes, about different trips he'd take, about different emergencies, and he'd have to land on a lake. Making up the stories, try to compensate for failures. But so far, he's and these problems with this is none of this is true, for he never flew a plane his entire life. He told me he had a special job in the Army as an engineer, and he wasn't in the Army. An entrepreneur associate of Berg's described him as antsy. How are things? And then he'd spend the rest of the time talking about himself. The former police chief... G.B. Cole said that he glorified the fact that he can do this and he can do that. People who knew him considered him odd and neurotic. Some would consider him what's called value to denarian which is a person who is unduly anxious about their health berg developed idiosyncrasies that further alienated him cole had recalled that mike berg always wore gloves one time he took his gloves off to do something and he had reached over and picked one of them up mike berg wouldn't touch them again he told me I could have them. He opened a doorknob by picking up his overcoat in his hand and opening the door. James Hugh Hogg, who worked as an accountant for Berg, said, Cases of rubbing alcohol sitting inside the entrance of his house. When he'd come out, he would pour alcohol on the concrete and rub his shoes in it. And he'd walk to the car on his heels. I never could figure out why he didn't do it when he got out of his car. He rubbed down the concrete one-eighth of an inch. 
Camden Fire Chief Robert O. Buddy Vaughn remembers that Mike was scared of everything. One day, one of the boys walked up and hit the car behind him. Mike twirled and pulled a gun on him. Another source said that Mike carried a shoulder holster. He would hold his jacket back just enough so you could see it. Berg married in 1942, and he and his wife, Helen Berg, they had three children. In addition to maintaining real estate, oil, and the Berg jewelry store, interest that he had inherited from his father, Berg opened two businesses, Mike Berg Cadillac Agency and Mike Berg Construction Company, operated heavy road equipment, construction equipment. In spite of his family and businesses, Berg was considered to be a very lonely man. Finally, I'd heard all of his stories twice. I said to my employees, don't open that door when he comes. I knew he wouldn't open the door himself. So he came and he just stood there and finally turned on his heels, got in his big Cadillac. They didn't see him again until he died. A former volunteer fireman said he'd come down to the fire station and talk to the guys till two in the morning. People would want to go home. First one would just creep away, then another. Finally, one would be left and he'd have to say, I've got to go to the restroom, then i got to get going. Berg's problems continued when he became an alcoholic. He came close to dying in the late 1940s, early 50s. It's speculated by one source that it is because affairs of his uncle, Henry Berg, left him. One quarter rather than half of his assets in a 1949 will. Arkansas law at that time gave the widow a right to half of her deceased husband's property. His aunt, Rose Berg, inherited three quarters of her husband's property, and in her will, she designated three nieces on her side of the family, not blood to Mike. So he saw this as non-family members were going to be getting his inheritance. Those assets, plus her own personal estate, worth a total $20 million. Berg was able to stop drinking with the help of a doctor in New York City. But in the meantime, his uncle's death, January 1st, 1950, left him with a new compulsion. A goal to consolidate all of the holdings of his father and uncle, despite his aunt's will. The goal provided Berg with an intense personal focus that motivated him to translate his wealth into a power base that would allow him to get his aunt's estate, specifically, and then to increase his wealth generally. Berg enlists the support and expertise of two brilliant men, his uncle's longtime accountant and protege, George Bowers, 
and a highly respected, sophisticated lawyer at Camden, Thomas Gunn. He gave contributions to sympathetic city, county, and state officials. A judge said, if you were the anointed candidate, you could expect money from him. He was always interested in sheriffs, judges, governors, and congressmen. A family member of Cameron Allen, who was an accountant for Berg in the early 1950s, said that Berg contributed $50,000, which translated to 2023 is $528,108.54 to Orville E. Fabus's first gubernatorial campaign, for which he was rewarded a political appointment to the state police commissioner February 28, 1955, and began serving as that commissioner for told 20 years. In telephone interviews, Governor Faubus denied ever receiving $50,000 from Berg. That's a total falsehood, he said. Chief Cole recalled that he, Berg, let everybody know he was on the state police commission. He had a special tag on his car, a great big silver star badge. Captain W.R. Casey Jones, troop commander of the state police of Little Rock, spoke of the power of a commissioner that if I were doing something wrong and a commissioner saw me, he'd fire me on the spot. People were also impressed by Berg's wealth. The Washita County Sheriff Jack Dews said everybody looked up to Mike Berg because he was the one with all the money. Berg would give gifts to people in positions of influence. Ed Horton, a prominent businessman who served on the City Water Commission, said Mike gave people gifts to make them feel obligated to him. Then he'd call and ask somebody to do something for him. James Harvey Rump, Washington County Tax Assessor from 53 to 1978, said he would give gifts every year. One of the county officials, a nice present every Christmas, he would give him a TV set and one to Sheriff Grover Line Barrier. I believe Grover's first year in office, Jack Doris would deliver the gifts. It was to make it hard for me or anyone to go against him. Lime Barrier's first year in office was 1957, and it was in that year that a local lawyer, Maude Crawford, disappeared. He took good care of policemen and firemen. Sheriff Jack Dews, who is a former Camden policeman, recalled Mike always gave everybody in the police department and in the fire department $10 each at Christmas time. He says, I've worked for $245 a month when I began. So $10 to him was like $100. Little did he know that he wasn't far off the mark. $10 in 1957 is equivalent in purchasing power 
to about $108.58 today. His $245 a month is now worth $2,587.73 here in 2023. So Chief Cole said, if the police department needed anything, he'd buy it for us. If he liked you, he'd give you anything. He always had new money, never old money. <clears throat> Mike, turns out, could be generous. Berg, also could be generous with nothing to gain. James Hugh Hogg, an accountant for Berg, said, one thing I can say for Mike is that he did not want to see a kid miss Christmas. The last Christmas before he died, he gave me $100, equivalent now to $1,056.22 in 2023. Gave him a $100 bill and told me to find some candies and fruits and give to the kids who didn't have anything. Former Fire Chief Paul Benton said if someone picked on an underdog, Michael would stand up for him. Berg made land available to a group of Camden businessmen at no charge to establish a deer camp. Colin A. Threadgill said we still have that deer camp today. So here's Mike Berg. Accused killer. Doing other illegal crimes yet. As we see, he gives children. Gives his friends. But what is expected in return? Anything? He's also Jewish. Can't, gotta take that into consideration too. So he can kind of see and understand what it's like to be a minority. Given the way he was raised and picked on school kids, I wonder if any of this contributed. The uh, way that his mother raised him or anything. Would he have ended up any different? Let's find out. Apparently he had what's called an ice cold list. Because to refuse a gift was to get on Berg's ice-cold list. This be an iceberg? All right. According to Ed Horton, who was on the city water board, he said that one Christmas, when Berg wanted the water board to extend water at the city's expense to his new subdivision outside the city limits, Jack Doris came to his door with a bushel basket of apples from Berg. Horton refused the gift. And just like that, he said, I was on Mike's ice cold list. To refuse to cooperate with Berg was to make a bitter enemy of him. Chief Cole said, if you ever made him mad, that was it. That was all of it. Berg reportedly would go to great extremes to seek revenge for a perceived affront. 
former Berg employee recalled that Mike used to say, if they get to you once, that's their fault. If they get to you twice, that's your fault. He told a story that Charlie Mosley had a feed store. Milas Reynolds was running for county judge for the first time. Charlie was going around saying, Milas Reynolds is nothing but a Berg man. Mike Berg, it's a little rock, and bought the building Charlie Mosley had his feed store, kicked him out of it. He would use any means necessary. Evidence indicates that Berg didn't stop at legal means, but was willing to use any means in order to punish or get what he wanted. Therefore, the services of employees, such as Bowers and Gone, were complicated. Thomas Gone's widow, Louise Gone, said that Thomas kept Mike out of the penitentiary several times. I think Mike would go off half-cocked. If what he wanted could work, Thomas would try to help him do it. She added, Mike wanted whatever he could get. Thomas didn't try to help him, though, on petty stuff. The petty stuff fell to a handful of Berg's employees who had little education, underdogs who were fiercely loyal to Berg and allegedly would commit crimes for him. Henchman could be a term for that, or perhaps Goombas to their King Koopa. A professional associate once said that Mike Berg was an uneducated man with an uneducated following of henchmen who did whatever he wanted done. Berg made it worthwhile for his employees to cooperate with what he wanted. Lyle Dews, alleged to have been one of Berg's henchmen, said, it was a good personal gain to be on Mike's side. Gone received conveyances of land from Berg Asked about the conveyances, Louise gone, laughed and said, it was to pay Thomas for saving Mike from going to jail. For one thing, Mike would ignore any bill. And once Mike gave Thomas a big sack full of Hershey bars, candy and gum, Thomas said, that son of a bitch thinks he's going to pay his bill with Hershey bars? Gone would get Bird to sign a deed in lieu of cash. Thomas would rather have the timberland anyway, Louise said. Berg motivated employees with profit sharing. George Bowers reportedly told a source that Berg 
would always ask the opinion of people working for him. If it were your money, would you do this deal? We make money on this. I'll give you half. Family member Cameron Allen, who notarized Rose Burr's warranty and timber deeds for Mike in the early 1950s, said Mike gave Allen four Cadillacs. First one in 1950, then another in 1951, and another in 1953. His brother got the 1952, I think. Allen died, though, in 1956. Source added, back then, loyalty was more important than anything else to men like Allen. Loyalty was earned. Berg earned loyalty from his employees for non-monetary reasons. Because as I said before, he was not only feared, he was respected. Lyle Dew said, if you had known Mike Berg, you'd have loved him. When he liked you, he liked you and he trusted you all the way. He added he was a man who would call you up, ask you if you had time to do a little something for him. When you were on his payroll, Hawk said Mike was very, very nice to me. I had the highest respect for him. Many people did. Mike wasn't the smartest person in the world, but he was smart enough to know when someone could do something and let him. Harry Parr, who operated a bulldozer for Bird, the construction company there, said I was the first Negro operator. Some people didn't like it. But I raised my nine children for my work. Anytime I needed money, I could borrow it from Mr. Berg. When I tried to give it back to him, he wouldn't take it. Mike Berg, helping people can consider a lower class standard. Children, people down on their luck, anybody could ask anything of Mike Berg and help them. Others, Feared him. Achieving his goal. With the help of Gone, Bowers, and Allen, Berg achieved his major goal. He got his aunt's estate in a series of property conveyances in the early 1950s and with a buyout of Rose Berg's heirs in 1958, a year after Maud discreetly departed. Louise Gahn said Mike felt the Rose Burger estate was his. It was his family. She was wanting to give it to her family. He didn't see eye to eye on that. And I believe she said he would have killed for it. Maude Crawford had presented the only serious obstacle to this. Just something we'll get into later on. Very in depth. 
Crawford vehemently objected to the conveyances and told Mrs. Bergsdayers at, at the proper time she would go into court and tell everything she knew about all of his crooked dealings. By the end of the 1950s, Berg had put into place elements that would allow him to function in the community the way he was used to, the way he wanted, with little resist. Once and for all until his final time, timber trader who worked for Berg said that he owned 64,000 acres of land when he died. Berg served board of directors for a bank for which his father had been president. He also served on the board of directors for the Washita County Medical Center, property that Berg had obtained from his aunt in 1951 with a questionable deed. It was added to an adjoining tract that he had already owned. And there he developed Mike Berg Lake subdivision number one, two, and number three in the 1950s and 60s. His Berg additions were exclusive Camden residential areas. In addition to legitimize his activities said before, Berg is alleged to have committed a great range of illegal crimes and acts to further increase his wealth during these years. According to Louise Gone, it was part of his skill was that he never got caught because he never told anybody what he did.
He died in 1975. And now, here to perform, please welcome Mark Caesar. I'm on it. Blue faces, I don't need a blue check. Fuck a blue check. Had the morph on them, got me looking like the new vet. Gotta get the new vet. Diamonds in my ring, like they about to get suplexed. Gotta get suplexed. Splash zone over here, got the whole crew wet. Yeah, yeah. Do it for the dollar and my mama. Fuck anybody here that got a problem. Runway, like you trying to be a model. Told my boy, go get him, he got him. Big talk, yeah, it's all about the guala. Straight fact, yeah, it's all for the guala. No lie, I ain't fucking with the drama. Cause over here, bitch, all for the guala. Try and keep my lifestyle away from all the neighbors. Hard to keep it undercover when you're all about to get super. Splash zone over here, got the whole crew wet. Do it for the dollar and my mama. Fuck anybody here that got a problem. Runway, like you trying to be a model. Told my boy, go get him, he got him. Big talk, yeah, it's all about the guala. Straight fact, yeah, it's all for the guala. No lie, I ain't fucking with the drama. Cause over here, bitch, all for the guala. You sink or you swim, no lifeguard. Dressed to a T from a city of God. Shout out to Philly for filling these psalms. Murdering beats, so I'm guilty as charged. You know it's the truth if it actually hurt. It's all for the guala, but family first. Take the shirt off my back, no cavity search. I ain't wearing my pride like you passing me merch. Scuffed my women, I'm fucking disgusted. Buy the whole car again, I ain't even bluffing. I'm bad to the paper like it get mean loving. She can feel it in the pocket of my jeans, she rubbing. Even old women with the new tits. Trying to figure out how to make the dude hit. Old teachers know they can't make a news clip. And now that the boy 18 with a huge dick. I'ma do the blue faces, I don't need a blue check. Fuck a blue check. Had the morph on them, got me looking like the new vet. Gotta get the new vet. Diamonds in my ring like they about to get suplexed. Gotta get suplexed. Splash zone over here, got the whole crew wet. Yeah, yeah. Do it for the dollar and my mama. Fuck anybody here that got a problem. Runway like you trying to be a model. Told my boy go get him, he got him. Big talk, yeah, it's all about the guala. Straight fact, yeah, it's all for the guala. No lie, I ain't fucking with the drama. Cause over here, bitch, all for the guala. Let go. 